0: Revelation 14, we had seen two beasts in uh, chapter 13 described. There we had uh, Antichrist. I didn't um, elaborate a lot on that specific term, which we often think of as being like opposed to, you know, the idea of anti- Christ and it is actually very different in the original language it's the idea of uh, replacement like false Christ so when we think antichrist um, it's going to be much better if you ingrain in your mind that that's the only thing the scripture means it doesn't mean opposed to enemy of against it very much means false Christ in replacement, trying to serve as Christ. Um, I uh, wear my heart on my shirt sleeve, and uh, um, I often am accused of being anti-Catholic. And um, I'm not really anti-Catholic. I clarify things, and when they get clarified, people go, see, you're anti-Catholic. The Pope's title is Vicar of Christ, and the term vicar means you are that. Follow me? So if you had a mayor, governor, president, king, someone in a position of authority, and They had a vice, mayor, governor, king, president, whatever. And the president were to become incapacitated, the king, the mayor, the whatever title we're using here. He's not dead, but he's not able to serve in his position. Then you would institute a vicar in his place, meaning that while the mayor... Governor, president, king is incapacitated. This person is the president, the mayor, the governor, the king, vicar of president, vicar of king, vicar of mayor, vicar of governor. Means you are the governor while the governor is incapacitated. You don't have to ask permission, your your role is not given you in such a way that you have limitations. You're the governor while the governor is incapacitated. You're the vicar of governor. Vicar of Christ? That's a sketchy term. That's a sketchy term to assign to anyone. Okay? I'm not... You say, oh, you're you're misinterpreting your written. No, I'm not. This is their terminology, and it is what they mean. Okay? Uh, that, That is why when they have had certain... Doctrines that have been held by the Catholic Church that are completely wrong, totally false. They point at the Pope and say, Oh, the Vicar of Christ. He's made the decision, he's mandated the doctrine, he said this is the way it is, and therefore, when confronted, they diminish the Word of God and say, No. The teachings and the doctrine of the Pope and the office and the traditions of the church supersede the word of God. That's really strange when you begin to act that way. So, uh, all of that because we saw Antichrist, replacement of Christ. Is the Pope the Antichrist? No, no. Is the spirit of Antichrist in the world? Yes, Is the spirit of Antichrist enrolled in that, you know, thinking, and that's, yeah, yeah. There's a coming Antichrist. And then the false prophet. He served the Antichrist, led the people astray. Now we're going to see the real authority in chapter 14. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into this. Father, I thank you for your love, your grace, your assurance in a world that has gone mad and is out of control, Lord, I pray you would help us to rest in you. To be peaceful and calm and waiting for you and waiting upon you. Accomplish your work. Perform your will in our lives and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, after these two beasts of chapter 13. You come to chapter 14 verse 1, then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. The lamb, such a prominent figure in all of the scripture really, but especially in our New Testament sense of things. And here he's standing on Mount Zion. So for the Jews, and it should be for Christians and modern believers, the understanding of Mount Zion is the position of God's authority. That's his place that he has established as symbolic of the throne, the throne of Israel the throne of God, (coughs) established on Mount Zion. Uh, This often makes me think of Psalm 2. When I read all of this running together, you see Antichrist, false prophet, all the chaos of the world, and then roll right into, oh, and here's the real Christ. Here's the Messiah and those that serve him. Psalm 2 Beginning at verse 1 says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? And uh, it has that idea of like, um, you know, vanity in the modern sense of puffed up, proud, but m- much more it, the definition is like completely empty. <laughs> There's, it's just air there's nothing to it vanity it, you know we get the sense of pride and being puffed up from that but you know there there's nothing to uh this this being puffed up I think I used the illustration recently uh you know my wife has this cat and he'll he'll occasionally like turn sideways you know bristle his back all of him sort of run at you sideways like You know you're just thinking like you know you know boot this guy like leave me alone. like uh, like you're supposed to you know you'd be like three o'clock in the morning walking out trying to like get a drink or something and you know and he's like you know night stalking out there you know and he comes at you like i could take you down and you're just like oh come on man get out of my way i just need to get to the sink and get back to bed why are you and that's the idea why the nations you know rage and plot this vain thing, this empty thing. This, you know, it's a foolish thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. They're all bristled up against the Lord and against his anointed. Saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. You know, you look at Hollywood's depiction of this. and You know, there's like almost this equal strain between the devil and God. and It's... Vain. It's empty. It's it is just puffed up. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. You know, just laugh at that. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He's, he's got a contempt for it. He doesn't, he's not even like forgive me for saying this, so he's not even kind about it. Like, guys, I understand you're really strong. You know, you're you're smart, you put a good plan together. He's not even condescending, and you know? it's just You know, there's probably just one syllable of, you know, laughing outbursts where it just, you know, (laughs) there's nothing to what you're doing. You got to put all your muster together, all that you have. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. You remember when the nation of Israel was receiving the law and God just came down onto Sinai and began to speak and they all fell down and said, oh, just you talk to him. It's gonna If we have to listen, it's going to kill us. Just his voice created his tremendous fear. And that's, that's what the Lord is saying. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And then verse 6 is why I really brought us here. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. For all, you know, you read chapter 13, and it's kind of scary. There's some bad stuff going on. And some frightening images portrayed. And beasts and heads and horns and, you know, crowns and authority. And wow, kind of frightening. Until you see the majesty of our king which is this humble lamb, right? You know, they hid themselves from the wrath of the lamb. God, in his weakest, in his weakest state, is so much more powerful than anything that the world could compile together in all of its... You know, you think about it, I mean, what's, what's the utter terror that we could create? You, know, you hear these things like, Humanity has enough nuclear weapons to destroy that. I don't know what the actual number is, but, you know, destroy the entire surface of the Earth 56 times. You're like, wow, that's horrible. Uh, That's one little planet and the entire, you know, nine-planet solar system and the entire universe, which God spread out with the span of his hand, according to the scripture. Just said, I think I'll make the universe about that big. What is God concerned about? You know, for all these people that are, you know, touting, God does not exist. I don't believe God exists. So what? So what? I'll never forget I was a young believer and, you know, I hadn't really wrestled with those things. But, you know, now you're dealing with people who have those sorts of statements, attitudes, questions. And I remember a pastor just posing the question of, you say God does not exist. Have have you been everywhere? You, know, you really question people, like, what's the furthest you've ever traveled? You know, a lot of people that say that, you know, I do not believe God exists. You find out they've never even been outside their state. You know, he might, he might be just two states away. You know, you don't, I mean, you haven't even traveled anywhere. And, oh, I've been everywhere. I've been all over the earth. Okay, so have you traveled outside the earth? You know, have you traveled outside the solar system? Yeah? have you traveled outside these dimensions? <laughs> I mean, there's, these questions get big really rapidly. You, you say there's no God. You, a finite created being who has this, you know, hair's breadth of existence on earth, born 65 years later, 85 years later, gone. Just, you know, there's rocks that are much older than you. <laughs> Why why, are you raging? The Lord will hold you in derision. He has set his king on his holy hill. So verse uh, 2 of chapter 14, I heard the voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of a loud thunder. I, um, I was a young child and uh, was taken by one of my uncle's. To, um, we didn't know they were going to even be opening the dam. We were somewhere in Canada, and uh, we went to this place where uh, he was just going to show me the dam. And we got there, and it was like at flood stage, and they had opened you know, two big channels. And the water's just jettisoning out and crashing and roaring. And I mean, when we arrived there, I can remember being in the car and hearing that tremendous noise and being intimidated about even getting out of the car. And then get out of the car and see and feel that concussion in the air, and just like, wow. And, and like, and he had to like hold my hand. I was a little kid, he had to give me the reassurance of, like, we're not going anywhere near that. We're totally safe here. But that's the idea of what's being said here is that that voice of many waters, a voice of loud thunder, you know. A, a movement of water that is so powerful that it, it's intimidating. If you've, you know, had the opportunity to go to Niagara, you know, we, we were able to go and take uh, 16 kids on the Maiden of the Mist and, and drive right in underneath uh, the, the falls and just that is some serious business. You know, a lot of people aren't even aware that uh, they they turn that water way down yeah. so the uh, the erosion at the bottom is such that they divert it upstream and it goes through uh, you know a big hydro dam and generates power uh, and uh, that you know in so doing uh, they're, they're actually preserving the falls keeping them there uh, as a, a tourist attraction so they're not even letting the full volume is my point. You know, most of us that have been and they turn it way down at night because then they just light it and then it's all about the visual beauty, but if you've been there and seen it, it's crazy. It's intimidating and that's what's being said here, you know, this voice of many waters like the voice of a loud thunder heard, the sound of harpists playing their harps, and they sang as it were a new song before the throne before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the hundred forty-four thousand who were redeemed from the earth. Remember the hundred forty-four thousand back chapter seven? Right? It's interesting when you think about it that all of these horrific events have taken place and beasts and antichrist and false prophet and death and horsemen and ah still 144,000 we don't turn the pages and discover that it's 000, you know, 143,999 just was it was tough there was a lot going hard to keep them all secure and safe right it's actually amazing that the 144,000 are here we need to get it in our heads if we don't have it there already. You know, the Lord says that it's appointed unto man once to die. We we often will say, Oh, they died too young. Well, apparently not. Apparently they died right on time. There there was a singular appointment, and they had their appointment, and someday you'll have your appointment. And it will be hard and difficult and, you know, you'll have to process whatever. It's so much easier to process when you know you're in the hands of the Lord. and Okay, this is his will. This is his time. I'm, I'm going to walk through this just like I have the other experiences. And the beautiful thing is, is I'm going to step out of this wretched experience into the most glorious experience anyone's ever experienced. Uh, That's that's an, an amazing thought, that God, you know, oh, well, Judas, right? No, Jesus said there, I didn't lose even one, except the one that God had intended to do as he did, right? John later says, and I'm sure, I'm confident that he was thinking partly of Judas. He says of false teachers, they went out from us because they never were of us. Had they been of us, they never would have departed from us. You can say that of Judas, right? They discover later he he was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry, and they discover later that he had been stealing from their ministry the whole time. That they, what, what, what kind of guy do you have to be to... Uh, Be watching Jesus raise the dead and then somebody goes, I'd like this to go to the ministry and you say, thanks and put a little bit of it in your own pocket. What kind of person do you have to be to do that? I I mean, John said, and one of you is a devil. (laughs) Right. Jesus didn't lose any. He's not like us. Things get out of control, and we get all befuddled, and good grief, you know. Where is that kid that was just walking? They were right here, you know, and you find them a second later, but, uh, you know, the distraction point of who we are, you know, keeping details in order. You start out, 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe, and all this horrific junk passes, and then still got 144,000. Still with him. Everything's in order just the way it should be. If we can learn this about God's character, it'll really set a lot of things at ease in your heart, that he's in control and you can trust him. They've got their song. They've been redeemed. It's a unique song, right? It's, It's not like anybody else's song. You know, when it says no one else could learn it, it's the idea of, you know, certain songs can only be sung by certain people to certain people just there are songs that are generic but you know if someone has written their wife a love song yeah it has a general sense but there's also very specific individuals being referred to we can talk about how we've been redeemed by the blood of the land you know that's in revelation chapter five verse you know nine that's part of our song how he's redeemed us from every tribe Tongue and nation. 144,000 have not been redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation. They've been redeemed from the nation of Israel. They have a very unique song. Uh, When we hear the scripture telling us that we are his workmanship, the term there is poema, which is translated song. We, We are a work of music. You know, I f- most of the time feel like mine is wildly distorted and terribly out of tune, but uh, apparently not. Apparently not. Mine might be a little more eccentric, you know, but it is, it is you know, his work, his, his scale, his mode, his story uh, set to his rhythm. And there's there's an assurance in that. M- music is unique to Christianity. It's a, ha- have you ever noticed how, how many times you've heard, oh, this particular incredibly famous artist started their musical career in their church, in their choir, in their Sunday school, in their... Right? All the time you hear that. What a lot of people don't realize is... Uh, as far as the religions of the world, Christianity's the one that's most musical. when you you hear the Islamic song and it's the minaret, you know tower in there, that's actually not a song. It's, it's just a thing they repeat every day and, and it sounds like that cadence of its repetition, right? You know, think about you know some of you guys have said the hail Mary you know hail Mary and the Our Father so many times that it just gets chant like you just you've motioned through it right and that's what you're listening to the Christianity music is unique to us it's unique to the Lord and I'm I'm very very grateful I'm I'm am I'm a music junkie just the the wide spectrum of everything all along the way just picked up on a ton of stuff to drive my wife crazy. Some days are like a living musical in my house. Every little thing is like, you know, I'll sing this line and that line and that line from, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, country songs and worship songs. And just, you know, it's just ingrained. There's, there's a beautiful thing about the fact that God has given us music. Uh, that is something that's significant to us. And, uh, unique in all of nature, that, that we have capacity for song. I would encourage you to embrace, especially, you know, the Scripture's telling us, uh, you think about the useless lyrics you've memorized, just the garbage of just, right? Does anybody, uh, who here in this room remembers C.W. McCall? No? You don't want to admit it? Okay, C.W. McCall, right there, right? Yeah, you know, rubber duck. Wolf Creek Pass. You know, I don't know if you ever thought about it. You can do, you can do your own research, but uh, C. W. McCall and that brand of uh, what uh, late '70s country music was actually the origin of rap. So you know, spoken word to music. I'm just saying you can look into it on your own. But, uh, it, you know, useless lyrics that that you can remember. Oh, the 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 songs of our Lord and what he has done i remember when i first surrendered my life to christ truly gave in and gave over and began to submit to him and just to sit in church services and weep my way through because the songs were my struggle and what i'd been through and what he delivered me from and what he was presently doing in my life it needs to be that we have the song of the lord In our hearts here, you know, they they sing, you know, that lame picture that the world wants to present of, you know, babies with like some four-string harp on a cloud. Like that's going to be eternity, just ring, you know, just who would want to experience that, you know? Full-blown harp, you know, like total grand staff scale of the piano to play that, skilled, in tune, to sing in tune, you know, for some of us. It just, it'd be an amazing thing, it'd be a wonderful thing to have our song and to worship in this way. So they they sing their song before the four living creatures and the elders. And we've had this image of the throne room that was given to us there. It sort of started in four, but through five and six. Here they could, no one could learn the song except 144,000 who were de- redeemed from the earth. These are the ones not defiled with women. Ladies, don't take that wrong. We'll examine it. For they are virgins. Um, uh, Boy, the commentators freak out right here and try to go like this direction and that direction to explain, hey, no, this isn't that women defile and being married to a woman doesn't defile. They go all kinds of crazy. Well, so I'll just pose a couple of questions and see if it doesn't give us the answer, and then we'll sort of look at it in a little different light too, okay? Um, Just generally speaking, don't answer. I'll ask some rhetorical questions that have obvious answers, and then we'll process. So is it possible... For a man to dis- defile himself with a woman? Yes, it is. Is it possible for a man who is married to have also defiled himself with a woman? Yes, it is. Is it possible for a man to marry a woman and not be defiled? Yes. All of these things are possible, okay? This isn't a statement about how women defile. This is a statement that these men have never defiled themselves with a woman, and they are also virgins, right? It isn't to say that by their being virgins and having never had sexual intimacy that that has kept them from being defiled. That somehow if they had had a wife, right, that would have defiled them. That's not what's being said at all, okay? What's being said is they've never been with a woman. and they are also virgins, meaning that they've never married, okay? So, so it's really a very simple thing. It, it, it's just, you know, our modern culture and, and in particular the abuse that has happened to so many women on so many different levels That when you read such a thing, immediately everybody starts scrambling to try and explain. You know, are they virgins? Is that how they're not defiled? Listen to how many times the Lord talks about how blessed you dear women are. And how he who finds a wife, you know, finds a good thing and is blessed of the Lord. You You know, Hebrews telling us that the marriage bed is undefiled. Okay? It's the idea of these men, these individuals have never married, and they've also never been with a woman outside marriage. They're not not defiled in any way. Uh, You know, you hear the scriptures saying a few different times that blessed are those who during certain periods of time refrained from being married. Because, you know, the prophet talking about how the children, the, the children's dead bodies are going to be left in the street like refuse, like, like trash or dung. Or, you know, I just, I mean, can you imagine seeing a little child dead, decomposing? That would be horrifying. It'd be heart-wrenching. Imagine then if it was your own child. I can I can't imagine such an unearthly experience. So so these here are living during the most horrendous of times and they've made the decision of I'm not going to have a wife. I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, maybe they very profoundly desire to have a wife. But they they recognize not at this hour. Not in these circumstances. I I am not I'm not going to, you know, have I'm never going to experience the you know gut wrenching strain of uh, my wife being put before me as a decision. You know, they, apparently history uh, tells us that Peter's wife. We hear of Peter being crucified upside down. That Peter's wife was crucified in front of him before him. His last admonition. To her was woman, remember your Lord. I can't imagine. The these here recognize apparently where they are in history and say, I'm gonna have a singular focus. I'm I'm gonna serve and worship and preach the gospel and you know have a heart after my own king. People look around today and question, should I have children? The stuff that's going. On. This in these chapters is far worse than anything that's going on in the world today. So these have kept themselves from marriage, and they've also kept themselves from any kind of sexual activity that would have defiled them. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Uh, that's a that's wouldn't that be great to have that on your business card <laughs> and be able to say that with honesty. Whatever the lamb does, whatever whatever my God, whatever my king, whatever Jesus says, that's what I do. I follow Christ. I don't do anything else. That's a great commentary on uh, anyone who truly can live up to that. These are the ones who follow the lamb, wherever he goes. Into harm's way, into rescue, into difficult situations, you know. The lamb sacrifices his own life for the sake of those that he's trying to save. Saved by the blood of the lamb. These follow him wherever he, he goes. And these were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the lamb. Firstfruits, commonly misunderstood, commonly misinterpreted, misrepresented. Uh, most significant is probably the easiest way to describe that, right? Because there are many that have died before this. Uh, They are apparently ministering with him wherever he leads them at the most critical hour in human history, that, that they would spread the gospel and preach the kingdom and draw people in. So they have a very significant role in all of human history and being the first fruits of God and to the lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. I bet, you know, think about 9 11 and how serious everybody got. You know, you know, that day, you know, I've I've showed my each of my daughters on different occasions literally exactly where I was standing when I was told that the plane had hit the first tower. And uh, I, I was working on a cable system at the time and was able to plug in a monitor right there, and we watched as the second one hit the tower. And I, I can literally show you this is where my feet were, <laughs> standing right at the corner of this house. When that took place, that that brought a sobriety to the world for everybody. That uh, deceit, yeah, joking around, uh, being lighthearted, flippant about anything. You know, within a few days, some normalcy started to creep back in, a little, but boy, you you quickly were brought back up. If you're living in a an environment where it's no questions asked we're living you know this is the end of the world no deceit found in their mouth that's the lamb of god that's the antichrist (laughs) got not much else to say you know you don't want to be on the right side i can help you get there you know not interested in that don't really have much else to talk about when you get down to a moment such as this, it's important that you be very grave, very somber, very serious. And nature's going to do that. It's going to make you come to the place, you know, no deceit found in them. They are without fault before the throne of God. Listen, they might have strong temptations and strong urges, there's a lot of really sinful stuff going on around them. But but when you're living in an environment that's so grave, you know, it just sort of dispels that desire. <laughs> you know. When you can look back and go, hey, there was an agreement made, you know, three and a half years ago, and it was broken, you know, on this date, and there's only literally exactly three and a half years left to this whole program. Um i am straight on the line I'm supposed to be, you know I'm eating what I should, I'm going to bed when I should, I'm getting up when I should I'm you know it's like i I got nothing in me that's out of line when when you get to this place you might you might have strong temptations to powerful things might enter your thoughts and your heart, and no can't do it can't deviate oh that we'd we live that way right now. What did the psalmist say? Teach me to number my days. Have you ever done that? No, literally? Like, heard the scripture say that you have 65 years on earth. If by reason of strength that be extended to 80. Beyond that, the scripture says, is borrowed time. Go figure out. Do you know, how old are you right now? Where are you on that scale of things? If that's the case, then how many days, literal days, do you have left? That's kind of frightening when you can put it in a matter of days. You know, when you're 14, 15, 18, 19, 23 years old, that doesn't cross your mind much. You start getting to certain markers, right, things get a little more serious. The, these these are divine example for us. They are without fault before the throne of God. No deceit in them. Verse six. Then I saw another angel. So he's the angels, and another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, for every nation tribe tongue and people saying with a loud voice fear god and give him or give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water i uh remember some years ago you know the christian ministry that had the eagle satellite. That was the angel of God flying through the sky. You know, send your money in now and support because we're preaching the gospel to every tribe and tongue. And You know, they, they got really quiet when their satellite developed problems and spun off course and just whizzed on out in space. <laughs> was never heard from again. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm weird, but, uh, you know, when I read this and it says, I saw another angel, my interpretation of that is that this is, well, an angel, you know. <laughs> Satellite, um, okay, maybe. I really don't think so. I really don't think so. I, I really think that this is going to be an angel who's multilingual, who either speaks a universal language everyone knows or speaks each and every language. And he declares to all the nations of the earth. That would really erase humanity ever being able to say to God, you know, if I had only known uh, the death, destruction, and mayhem all around you wasn't a clear enough sign. Someone declaring himself to be God inside the temple didn't tip you off to what was going on. Okay, all right. How about the angel? Did you notice the angel who was flying through the sky? To me, see, this is one of the things about God's character that I put together. You know, maybe I'm wrong. But this whole idea, you know, how could God... You know, send people to hell. How could God kill innocent children? How could God... Yeah, I you know, that's actually a good question. All of that is good. You're right. You're right. If God is that way, then you could say he's unjust. What, what if it isn't any of that, though? What if there's an enemy, right? Lucifer, who disrupted the plan and is just tearing at this planet and humanity. What if we could actually investigate every sin and vice and difficulty and murder and mayhem that's gone on i bet you we would discover more than anything humanity was responsible that's what you're going to discover the human race is at fault you know people talk about oh you know you got to Global warming, global climate change. You know, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it, the winters have been getting warmer, and I'm okay. You know, 1978, we arrived here in this state, and it snowed like 150 feet of snow that year. I, you know, right? For real deal. I mean, I don't know. You might, you guys might remember the, the snowstorm of '78. You know, the power was out for a week. Like literally, you know, the 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 snowbank at the end of our driveway, uh, we waded through snow up to our chest and dug a hole through the the snowbank at the end of our driveway in order to get out into the road and get to our mailbox. You know, yeah, global climate change. I don't think it's fossil fuel. I think we're getting closer and closer to this judgment. I don't know if it's global climate change, right? No, nobody's given me the calculator and the notebook, right, to do this research. Because I've also, you know, remember just a couple winters ago there was a tremendous amount of snow, and then you know a couple winters ago there was no snow. And I just, you know, I don't know what degree global climate change is happening. I can tell you what I am seeing for global climate change: it's the moral climate. I am watching things heat up. I am watching things get much worse worldwide on the moral compass. I don't even know if the actual, you know, environmental, you know, atmospheric stuff is changing or isn't changing. We'll let somebody else argue about that. I know for certain that the moral environment of planet Earth is changing dramatically. We are getting closer and closer to where this stuff is happening. And God is going to pronounce his judgment. And he is sinless. He's going to present, however this plays out, I'm convinced it's an angel flying through the sky, just as the scripture says, declaring to all of humanity the very thing we hear. I mean, what if there is this tremendous voice booming that says, you know, look, maybe it happens once. Maybe it happens continuously, you know, seemingly as it's described, saying with a loud voice, fear God. Give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. That 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 removes all of that argument. Where did we come from? Was it evolution? Is there even a God? Look, if there's an angel flying through the sky declaring this to you, right? This is the re- The biggest reason that I know personally, this is an angel, not a satellite, is because if it's a satellite and that's being broadcast, then Everybody who doesn't want to accept it can go, "Ah, that's a message that humanity made up. That's a satellite man launched. My personal conviction is, this is an angel. He's declaring to all of the human race the truth of their present circumstances. If you turn your back after that, hey, The scales have been balanced by this right here, right? Because there was great delusion. How could these poor people be blamed? After all, think of the great delusion. Satan's able to call fire down from heaven, and wouldn't that be confusing? It's confusing right up until the angel flies overhead and quotes this right here. God rebalances the scale and says, oh, no, I removed all of that. There was an angel that said, fear God. Give glory to him. The hour of His judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens. Not evolved. Not evolved. Made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And we'll see much more detail of that when we get to chapter 18. But right here, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she... Has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Um, Babylon is very commonly a religious system. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Nimrod. I always say Nebuchadnezzar, but you know, Nimrod, that original Tower of Babel, constructed, uh, you know. Uh, You've seen the Aztec pyramids; they taper and go up. They're very blocky, versus the Egyptian that have the singular uh, three, three, four, five triangulation. Anyway, um, the that was referred to as a ziggurat, and um, we find big ziggurats all over the planet, different places. Really interesting that all of humanity seems to have historically been obsessed with building uh, these. And, uh, you know, you listen to certain people and they're like, oh, well, the ancient aliens and they brought, and so, you know, here's the deal, okay? North America, Canada, Alaska, Canada, U.S., Central America, South America, without question were populated by Mongolians. There's no question about that. Okay? Um, interestingly enough, the people who have confirmed that are the Mormons because Joseph Smith falsely recorded that Jews sailed from Israel to Central America, landed there. And created two massive races of people who eventually went to war with one another in the Midwest of the United States. And the neophytes wiped out the Lamanites, according to Joseph Smith. And the Lamanites were these ancient descendants of Israelites who were here that we referred to as Native Americans when the Europeans arrived, okay? So the Mormons set out to confirm these teachings of Joseph Smith, and they have become the world's leading geneticists. They they really are. I mean, you want to know things about heritage and lineage. The Mormons have really perfected that science, they they really do know a lot. Unfortunately for them, they've actually discovered that their teacher, Joseph Smith, was false. And that all of that was the creation of his imagination. And they've had mass waves of massive exodus based upon the scientific findings of the people in their ranks who have done all this research. And what they have discovered without question is that all of the population of Native Americans that were here when the Europeans arrived are all direct descendants of Mongolians. They've tracked their archaeological movements, they've tracked the development of their tools, the development of their art, the development of their songs, the, their genetics. They've dug up graves from Mongolia across the Bering Straits, Alaska, North America, Canada, Central America, South America all mongolian 100% 100% mongolian the cigarettes the pyramids of the aztecs and the mayans were identical to what was being built all throughout asia and mongolia and they just brought that over they didn't start building them until they got into south america but the ideas it was all in their artwork They kept record of it, and it stayed in their culture, and then they started building them in South America. Babylon, Nimrod, Genesis. He was going to build a tower and fill it with the wisdom of all of the world, and the people could go in there and study through escalating levels of knowledge and understanding until through knowledge they made themselves equal to God. So when you read in Genesis that Nimrod's intention was that they would build a tower to heaven, and God then thwarted that by changing their languages so that it confused them, and they babbled to one another and could no longer understand one another, they made the first Babylonian empire that was Antichrist replace God with knowledge, replace God with wisdom, become like God through the study of knowledge and wisdom was what they were trying to do. All through human history, this is commonly what is done. Whether groups of people gather together in a false religion to study religious things, right, to replace God, be like God, become God, you know, whatever their thing is, or if they just get rid of god through knowledge and now i'll go to college and i'll become a doctor and i don't need god and god doesn't exist and evolution you know i was once you know some prehistoric genetic thing that developed up into what i am today god doesn't exist I exist here through random happenstance. I, I replace God with evolution, right? Didn't we start out with Antichrist is to be in place of God? God created all things. Here, this says God made heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Evolution is erased. Every other thing is erased. And then you get that statement: Babylon's fallen. It's done. It's it's a proclamation. It hasn't fallen yet, right? at this moment in history, but God is already declaring it as fallen. It's over, right? The death throw has been struck, and Babylon's done. It began way back there with Nimrod, and it died then. It was torn apart. It was destroyed by God, bringing and introducing the diversity of languages so that they couldn't communicate with one another, and they just scattered across the face of the earth. It's interesting. Get your map out when you go home, your world map. Put your ruler right on Babylon, Iraq, right? Put your back right there and draw just some outward lines. And then look at the nations that have developed and the way that the languages scatter out from this point. All of the, all of the, the races of people, Scatter in very specific directions. They all go back to that one point on the map. You know, you're driving down the road in your car, and you hear that loud snap on your windshield, and you get that white-hot prickle all over your car, and you look at and there it is. Spiderweb on your windshield. You don't have to go, where did the rock hit? <sighs> hit right There. <laughs> shattered from that point right that's where the rock hit and all these lines tell me right where the rock hit you can look at babylon and draw all the lines right back there that's where god struck humanity and stopped them from trying to become like him through knowledge and through their own processes god thwarted their plans he struck babylon And now all these millennia have passed up until what we're reading right here. And the final death convulsions are going to kick off right here. It's interesting. The headquarters for the European Union is a spiraling tower that the top has literal beams and glasswork and structure standing on, they're commonly asked, like, when is that going to be completed? Because it looks like an incomplete construction project. And they explain to them that is the symbol of the Tower of Babel that Nimrod began. And our motto right in front of their headquarters is, together we can. The most funded project of the European Union is a universal language program. Software. So that I speak and you hear in your language and you speak and I hear in my language. It's the number one funded program in the European Union. Why? So that all of the nations of the world can work together. They want that spread everywhere so that they can undo God's death blow and get back to completing what Nimrod had started. Here, the angel declares, Babylon's fallen. Fallen? Fallen. Way back there. And fallen right over here. In this present account, it isn't going to survive. God is going to throw man and humanity, you know, Psalm 2, why the nations rage, plot this vain thing. We haven't stopped. We haven't learned our lesson. We just got to keep plugging ahead, make ourselves, we can overcome this. We'll overcome the curse. We'll overcome death. We'll live forever. Strange, strange beings that we are. Babylon the Great, because she's made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Her fornication with false gods, false belief systems, all the things that would pollute humanity and destroy us. Bring death and destruction amongst us. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Holy Angel in the presence of the Lamb. That occasion where I was with my uncle and we stood beside that dam, he had a great sense of humor. And, uh, that was one of the things I enjoyed about my uncle. He could, he could, even as a child, share things with me and make things lighthearted, and uh, sort of pull me through tough circumstances. And he sensed how intimidated by, I was by that roaring dam, as I said, and he'd taken me by the hand and was examining it with me. And he leaned down and said, "Well." If a man were to drink a cup of that, it'd rip his guts right out. And I understood the humor of it. I was I was very little, but I understood the humor. I cracked right up. You know, I understood. You put the, you know, water from that dam roaring as it is into Pesca immediately still, and you can drink. not so here. The raging roaring of this wrath, contained in this cup, it'd rip your guts right out. It's as serious as it comes. God takes very serious. We're going to read when you get to chapter 18. I make the point, I draw your attention to this right here because we're going to make the point in 18 that a lot of what's in this cup of wrath that God figuratively portrays to us here is the blood of the martyrs. You don't get to kill God's chosen servants. And not experience his wrath. You're going to. Paul, right? What a profound teacher of the gospel. Just so amazing. And especially the grace of God. Where would we be? Not only without the actual grace of God, but where would we be without the understanding regarding the grace of God that Paul relays to us? Right. Oh, praise God for brother Paul and his ministry and what he has relayed to us. And the reason he understands the grace of God so well is because he killed the saints. And he describes what God allowed to be delivered to him as a tent stake. Remember that? The tent stake And we, you know, you might think like your little L.L. Bean pup tent, got to keep that thing from blowing away in the wind. This is the three-foot long, usually wooden, sometimes made from metal stake that would be driven in the ground to hold a tent that was as big as a house made from heavy canvas that a whole family would live in, the home of the Bedouins. That's what Paul, when it says he was a tent maker, he was making tents that were meant to last for years for people to live in with their whole families. He was a tent maker who described his physical malady as being equal to one of those tent stakes driven through his body. He said he'd ask God to remove it three times. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And his explanation for leaving it in place was so that Paul would not be puffed up with arrogance because of the level of revelation that he had from God. He was so knowledgeable that God allowed him to experience this malady, whatever it was, severe enough that it would be described as a tent stake driven through his body so that he wouldn't become full of himself. Consider the things you struggle with. Now consider the revelation of God that you contain within yourself. Now consider that God may be making you that dependent upon him day by day, moment by moment, so that you'll stay in the humble state that you need to be in. Maybe you'd become full of yourself. If you were like, you know, awesome, (laughs) and just wonderful and amazing and, you know, Nobody can stop you, and you're just wow. No, you're just you. No, you're just you're just a human being that's been saved by grace. That's that's what you are. The wine of the wrath that's going to be poured out full strength is for the people who have rejected God, who've seen that angel flying through the sky and went, Yeah, I don't need that. Okay then. Then here's the only item on the menu for you. Drink this full strength made that specially for you. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. He himself shall drink also the the drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of his torment ascends forever and ever they have no rest day or night. No rest for the wicked. This is where that comes from. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Oh, but I couldn't help it. I wasn't going to be able to buy groceries. Uh, I would think starving to death would be better than following through with this. If if you've seen the angel fly through the sky that said fear God worship Him give Him glory and you still said nah, I think I'll take the mark, then unfortunately you deserve what you get at that point. Tragic as it is, the scripture here records. I want you to notice. We'll leave off with this. The false teachers that are in the church today. This is critically important to understanding how. It is physical torment, and it lasts for eternity. It isn't figurative. It isn't imaginary. It's not spiritual. It's physical torment, and it lasts forever. So many false teachers have come, and more and more and more are coming. Who, you know, they they make themselves sound smart. I've learned. I've discovered Look what I've seen. Yeah, no. No, I'm going to trust the Word of God. That's what I'm going to trust. I'm not, not going to hold on to somebody's vain imagination. You know. Criminals always act like that, right? We're going to get away with it. This time, there won't be any repercussions. It's, it's the same criminal mentality being delivered from the pulpit and so people go well it must be true no no there is a god of justice and if you want to escape the punishment that every single one of us was going to experience then you accept the fact that his son died on your behalf and if you do that then you'll just be forgiven of your guilt be forgiven of your guilt but that doesn't erase hell It doesn't take the punishment away. It doesn't make it non-existent. It's still there, designed for the devil and his angels. But if you're not going to live in the presence of God and you're not going to choose God, then that's the only place else to exist for all of eternity. God's just setting the choice before every one of us who've ever lived. It isn't that God chooses and sends people to hell. It's a matter of, do you choose God or not? We need to embrace him, not accept those things that would mark us as not belonging him, the mark of the beast. We don't want anything to do with that. So we'll pick up at verse 12 next week, and hopefully what we'll do is uh, 12 and then from verse 12 in chapter 14, and then all, it's just eight verses in chapter 15. So we'll put those together next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you very much for your love and your grace in our lives. Lord, help us to be men and women who embrace that grace, who hold to it, who live in it, who, who, who love and preach your saving grace, that it would be our whole existence. Watch over us, keep us, use us as your children, as your servants, your ambassadors, until we're together again. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.